0: Hello and a welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Big g'day to our Patreon supporters who might be listening to this a day early. That's the new thing we're doing at Patreon.com. So if you go to patreon.com/ com slash Willosophy, W-I-L-O-S-O-P-H-Y, then uh, you can get the new episodes of Willosophy uh, at the moment. Mondays and Fridays on the general release, you can get them Sundays and Thursdays and completely ad free. So if that is something that sounds exciting to you, all you have to do is go to our Patreon page, join up for as little as US dollar per month. Subscribe there. We're getting towards five thousand, and if we get to five thousand, we will be doing regularly what we've done for the last couple of weeks. So, uh, obviously, uh, Jordan Raskopoulos and Celia Picola were our episodes last week. This week it'll be Catan and Jen Kirkman, and that is the way that we hope to continue. A brand new guest for a brand new episode on a Sunday, Monday, and then a catch-up episode with the previous philosophy guests on a Thursday, Friday. So if you like that, if you would like to see more of that, then the best way to guarantee that that will happen is go to patreon.com slash Willosophy and join up there. If you can't afford to join up, and I absolutely understand that we're in unusual times and a whole bunch of people uh, don't have income coming in. I empathize with you. So uh, if you cannot support the show in that way, but you would like to support the show, the best way to do that is rate, review it, pass it on, like it, pass it around, tell somebody else about it. They are all the things you can do that cost you nothing, but obviously... Benefit this podcast. We don't have ads and other media. We can't afford to, you know, have PR behind it. This is an independent media project. We have a little company, Tofop, uh, Tofop Productions, and we have a website called tofop.com, and you can go there and see all the podcasts we make. So, our weekly schedule, uh, we are hoping, will be Monday. Uh, brand new episode of Philosophy uh, Tuesday, a Fofop, uh comedy podcast with uh, various comedians from around the world. Uh, Wednesday, that'll be tofop Charlie and I, the show that started all this, uh, our show that's been going on for over ten years now. Um, tofop comes out regularly on a Wednesday. Thursday, Charlie and I put out our footy, um, our AFL football adjacent podcast. It's mostly nonsense. Uh, you don't need to know a lot about AFL to either host the show or listen to the show, uh, but that's two guys. One Cup. It comes out on Thursday. And then once we get to the 5000 per month, then we can afford to pay James Fosdyke and Podcast Mike and everybody properly to make sure that we can get those two episodes out per week. We'll have a brand new catch-up episode uh, weekly as well. So this is an example of that. This is an episode with my great mate, Jen Kirkman, who has her own Patreon page where she's providing all sorts of incredible content during this time. Uh, she has Netflix specials. She's one of my favorite comedians in the world. She's one of my favorite people in the world. I just really love spending time with jen and i hope that you guys are going to love spending this catch-up time with jen it's been a while since she's been on but she's a regular guest also on my other podcast fofop and as we mentioned in this we thought we'd do the the serious philosophy one first but hopefully in the next sort of couple of weeks or months she'll be back for a uh, completely silly episode of fofop as well so hope you enjoyed this episode with jen Uh, Hit her up online. uh, Tell her how much you loved it. uh, Support her stuff. Retweet her stuff. um, Listen to what she's saying about the world. I think she's the absolute best. This is Jen Kirkman. and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and it's a returning guest episode. This is very exciting. So basically what has happened, and I'm explaining this as much for the guests as I am for the people listening, but mm-hmm. during the global pandemic that we're currently going through, I decided that this podcast had always been one-on-one, in person. I'd always been speaking to the person in the same room. It was kind of part of the idea of the show, but of course, you know, we can't be in the same room with people anymore. And uh, I'm in an isolated area and suddenly I had to pivot to the idea that you had to do it over the internet. So I thought, you know what, I'll do catch up episodes. Then of course the pandemic's been going on a bit longer than I thought. I thought that'd just be a thing I'd do for a couple of months to fill in, (laughs) turns out whole new business model. So there's brand new episodes coming out. The whole idea of being in the same room as people that's out the fucking window. Mm-hmm. The principles, the one principle I had for this show for about six years, it's <laughs> fucked off. <laughs> but what it has meant is that I now have this opportunity to catch up episodes with previous guests on the podcast. So mm-hmm. this is one of those. Uh, so, um, a big hello to our guests. This is how the podcast starts. I asked the guests who they are. So who are you?
1: I'm Jen Kirkman. Um, in between identities.
0: What is that? Okay. But you know, I people. like that. What is it? What does that mean right now in between identities? Because I think that there is definitely some truth to that at the moment. What does it mean to you right now?
1: Well, you know, I'm realizing I, well, pandemic aside, um, I swear this was on my mind last year when you're in a job that you made a decision would be a cool job when you're 20. And when you're 45, it's like, do I love this enough for the tough parts? And so as a stand-up, I found I'm not that interested in it today. It's been a little over a year. I'm a TV writer. That's where I make the good money and the insurance, but that's been slow. And I, I don't know how much I love stuff to fight for it. And I'm just in that phase where if I was having a baby, everyone go, Oh, she did career. And then baby. She doesn't want to do the career, but she's got a baby. But when you don't have a baby, it's like, what are you doing? (laughs) Keep rolling the dice, stay in. And I'm like, whatever not a baby is, is what I'm exploring. Uh, But also traveling is my third identity for fun and adventure. And so that's what I do. And I can't do that. So usually when I can't figure out what I want in life, I travel a lot to help me think so I can't address anything because I'm not in control of the industry that I'm in. So where I was on like a career down, kind of there was a pandemic and it, it, uh, I don't have any answers in other words, but nothing's upsetting. If that makes sense. I'm not, yeah, nothing's upsetting. I'm just in between identities for me. Identity is work, unfortunately. Um, and my who I am as a person is another identity that's always changing, which is great. And then, yeah, so I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what's important to me and it's coming clear. I just can't go do it.
0: Okay. So that's, that's all very fascinating to me. No, I like that. That's a really, I mean, we haven't spoken for ages and so it's it's all going to be blurted out at once, I'm sure, but we'll find a way to pick our way through it, you know, bit by bit. I am very fascinated by the idea that you were already thinking about these things, because I think there's a lot of people at the moment, myself included, that are having a complete reassessment of, you know, what it is that we do because of what we're going through at the moment and our our Mm -hmm. capacity to even do the job that you know we did previously has been taken away like it has been for a lot of people but the idea that you were already thinking about those things previous i'll give you an example what happened to me first and then uh so yeah. I had a regular radio job, like breakfast radio job for a couple of years out here, good money, you know, secure employment in the same place most of the time. And I got to the end of last year and I was like, ah, this is just not me. I love to be, you know, out on the road, telling jokes, traveling the world, yeah. you know, that's what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And then the fucking pandemic happened. <laughs> I was like, oh shit. All right. Well, that was a bad decision. Um, Oh, so so I've had that period like late last year where I really thought I'd made a big decision about what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And it really was that idea of, no, I'm just going to go back and, you know, do my little projects and work (sighs) on the things that I like to do. But mostly I'll just do stand up and I'll be happy doing stand up. And then of course that's all gone away. You were clearly having, you know, other discussions with yourself.
1: I was having other discussions. I mean, look, ideally, if I was selling 10,000 seat theaters or let's say even 5,000 seat theaters, uh, I might have a different opinion about questioning it all, but I have a smaller audience. So that means more dates on the road. You know, obviously the more people you have in one venue, the more money you make and maybe you could hit your 10 favorite cities a year. Um, but I'm unable to do that. And I, I, I noticed my crowds shrinking over the years where they had been building and then something happened, but none of that is interesting to me because it's nothing I did. You know, it's just how, how, how big your star is that year. If you're on TV a lot and I hadn't been on TV in a long time and blah, blah. So I guess there's an argument that it's sort of like business drying up, but I honestly have to be honest when, whenever I've been motivated to keep going with things, there's always that question of do I love it enough for the parts that suck about it? And as of last year, I did, I didn't because I didn't, I don't want to be by myself on the road 30 weeks a year. That, that was not the plan for my age. And so, but I also have this TV writing skill and I've written on a ton of shows and I did the same thing you did. I quit working on the marvelous Mrs. Maisel a couple of years ago which is like an Emmy winning show and I got to live in New York part time and obviously great money and I went no nah, I'm I don't want to write about a woman doing stand up I'm I'm the stand up I'm going back out there I just had a special come out <laughs> and I go back out there and as I'm out there I went I'm not that into this I feel like I had so much to say in my twenties and thirties because it was all everything. You're navel gazing. It's interesting. I don't want kids. I just got divorced. There's stuff to talk about. First you declare who you are. Then maybe your specials become, this is what I'm up to. And then since the last four years were just working and securing work and repeating the material, I didn't live a life. So I have nothing to talk about. No relationships, no nothing, you know? And it's like, I think there's something to be said for me. There's a a growth period. You got to let the crops go through their seasons. Like I'm not giving up stand up, but I I have nothing to say right now. And I don't think we have to say anything important or we have to be political, but that would certainly be a vein to tap, but that's just not my humor. So I haven't done anything and I have no new declarations. Like I think this about feminism, like I've said what I need to say. And then before I make any more declarations... I need to figure out what I think and who I am and just live a little. So I thought this year is the year I live and figure out who I am. Maybe I'll do some writing jobs for that cash so I can pay the bills, but travel, figure out who I am. And, And, but actually I think the pandemic lends itself more towards that than, your goal, which was to get on the road. But, uh, yeah, so I'm in well,
0: Fill up, fill yeah. up the bucket, right? That's what you were talking about. You know, you, you've got this sort of bucket of ideas and then eventually your bucket gets yeah. emptied out from all its ideas. And then you end up just writing, you know, material about being in hotel rooms or, you know, being on planes. And if you're lucky enough, like me, you'll get arrested on a plane and that can turn into I a whole know. show, but it doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't happen all the time. You can't guarantee that but that's going to But it's funny happen, that if someone so. had
1: said to you, now you're going to get arrested, I've gone into the future, do you still want to get on this flight? Of course you would say, yes, that's going to be great material. Like, <laughs> even though, you know, I, in a way I feel like we go do things hoping maybe something weird will happen that I can talk about. I know that was not your case. You just were traveling to get to work, but it's still, there's something.
0: Oh, yeah, that's going wrong. Like there was... It was a terrible experience to go through, but I was even at the time aware that it would, it would pay off that, you know, that at some stage, I mean, you know, that when I was going, what the fuck will I talk about? I'll be like, okay, well I have something that I can talk about. Well, that's kind of what
1: was happening to me last year. There's always that thing in the back of your head going, this could be something. And I'd be like, nah, really couldn't. Or, you know, I'm just in between, you know, I'm not like this post-reproductive system menopausal woman, but I think that's gonna be some great material. Gotta wait for that. That's about five years. And I'm I'm post like nobody cares that I don't like want kids or got a (laughs) divorce. I'm 45. Like, yeah, got got it. Not interesting. So I think I just need life to happen a little more, you know. Um, you know, I'm probably two tragedies away from a great special. I'm kidding. I just, I, that's a horrible thing to say. But I'm literally so afraid I just jinxed my parents to die. So, anyway, I just, yeah, I, I but here's the thing with having something to say. My last hour that I was doing on the road, we, yeah, was nostalgia. And it was kind of a friendly bridging the gap between Gen Z, millennials, and Gen X. Like, no one believes that we already went through the same horribleness and that we're on their side. I was trying to explain we're not the older people. Um, and, and it was a fun, really nostalgic act, but it didn't, I don't want to be that person. Like that's not, you know, so I went, God, I have nothing to talk about the, the, I'm talking about how cars used to have lighters and cigarette ashtrays in them. Like maybe I need to get a light.
0: What do you think comedy is going to be like? out of this. I'm interested in your thoughts about comedy in general, because Mm. as you said, that idea of people experience. So there's kind of two sides to this. One is, that everybody in the world is kind of experiencing the same thing. And Celia Picola, you know, made a really good point about the idea that it's rare in the world that you can mention something and everybody in the world has a sense of what that experience is. So there's a universality of of experience, which is kind of a cool thing, but at the same time, everybody's going through the same thing. And I have that real fear that everybody's going to be talking about the exact same things.
1: Well, true, but I'll say two things about that everyone has their own audience. So in terms of your own show, people want to hear about it from you. Sure. Maybe this guy, this girl has the same, uh, topic they're talking about and their people want to hear it from them. And so, yeah, if you're on a a lineup with other people and you're all doing 10 minutes, maybe, but I I don't worry about that too much. And of course there's always going to be, everyone's going to have their own angle, what it was like to date during it, what it was like to whatever. I do think, in the TV world, what I'm hearing is don't write a script about the pandemic. Don't make a romantic comedy about people in masks. People are burnt out on it. And I'm like, I don't think they, I don't, what networks never understand is if you look at social media, that tells you what people are thinking about. And every Instagram post is still masks. And here's my bread I made. And people want to see their life reflected. And I believe in standup they're not coming to get away from it all, meaning the world. They're coming to get away from their life and they don't even mind seeing you talk about their life as long as it's funnier than they're experiencing it. So I think at the very least people want to hear jokes about pandemic-y stuff. And so I don't know what comedy is going to be. I don't know if people's audiences, like part of me thinks some people just stop doing comedy. There'll be more opportunity to perform if that sort of balances out. Uh, but I think I'm going to be totally honest. I think it's going to go back to being pretty much exactly the same, except at half capacity, literally for everything, half crowds, people won't be making as much. They're not going to, if you're a comic that they pay you $50,000 just to go for the weekend, like no one's doing that anymore. You know, I'm talking about a comedy club in America. I don't know who's making that kind of money either, but but I just think everything will be slightly off, but it'll be exactly the same because I don't think we're there yet as people to make anything new and to have the balls to do it. Nobody's in acceptance of what's happening. So if you're not in acceptance, you can't actually move forward or do anything creative. So people are gripping and full of anxiety and staying in what the past was because that's normal to them and there's no vision. So we're going to try to go back to the same way everything was And it'll just all be a little weird because there'll still be some rules and regulations, some masks, some not. And then once it's all, all over, we'll go right back to where it was.
0: So there isn't, um, if you weren't excited about it already, if there was elements of you going, you know, there, the bad sides are not being outweighed by the good sides of this at the moment is that only going to be intensified by the circumstances we find ourselves in, you know, the idea of going out and performing to half the people socially distanced than you did previously. And, you know, being so many more restrictions on how you can travel and how you're going to have to like, you know, arrange all that travel and, you know, being in crowds with people and the extra risk factor in your environments. Does that only make it less enticing to go back to it? Or is there another part of you that's like, I haven't been able to do this for ages. I want to get out there and entertain people you haven't been tempted to go and do a a drive-in show or go to one of those states where people can you know socially distance in an audience and do a show
1: no and i I, i'm one of those people that's like i don't want to try a new thing i just don't need the attention (laughs) you know i wasn't shitting on society as much as i was like i can't think of how it's going to change you know um it'd be great. Listen, I'll say one, I'll say a positive thing after this. I'm not going anywhere until there's a vaccine and one person in the world has it. And they're very far from me. Um, I will not, um, tour. I will keep canceling my gigs. I've now pushed everything back to May of next year and beyond. I'll, I'll probably end up pushing it again because I will not do a socially distance audience. Cause that means there's still a pandemic. So I'm not traveling during that and going around my bad asthma and getting COVID it's not worth it. So, but let's just say someone that doesn't have my neuroses about it. Yeah. there. It's probably, I, I don't see how it's going to be as fun. And yet we're so starved for attention or human connection that maybe it, I, that's what I mean. I think nothing will change. Like, yes, there'll be half the people. You might be making half the money, but your organic love for it is coming through and it, and everyone's like, this is weird. We're all in it together. Half the people, I don't think anymore means half the adrenaline and excitement because like you said, we're all experiencing
0: this. It's interesting because I mean, obviously we're both, you know, people who've got to have experienced a lot of, you know, what stand-up comedy has to offer previously, right? Yeah. So we're not we're not some kid who's starting out in their stand-up comedy journey and is so desperate for stage time. I'm sure there was probably times in both of our careers where, you know, you'd do anything, ridiculous things to get stage time. You just needed to be up yep. there in front of people, honing your craft, moving your career forward, all those sort of things. Mm-hmm. You know, neither of us are in in that position. And yeah. there's been a little bit of me that's been you know, I don't know, like it's what it's told me about myself. Cause I'd certainly told myself that my big story of this year was going to be out on the road, doing shows. And now that I'm not out on the road, doing shows, I feel like I should be more upset about it. I feel (laughs) like I you know what I mean? I'm like like in a day to day sense in a theoretical sense. Yes. I'm upset about it in a financial sense. I'm upset about it. I know that I would have enjoyed doing the shows, but just in a, how does it make me feel from day to day sense? I don't think that I'm particularly upset about it.
1: I feel the same way. Like, if I sat here and imagined I plot myself onto a stage, never mind how I got there or what the hotel was like, I'm on stage. I am doing well. I'm talking about what I love. People are interested. And I don't know how many people are there, but none of this COVID is going on. Do I feel, yeah, that'd be great? Like, I love that. That's, that's fulfilling that I, I like that better than sitting home and writing a script. Oh my God, that's my heart. But then as I'm sitting here, someone goes, do you miss it? I go, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. but
1: it's, it's two different questions. You know, it's like, uh, it's like, I'll get, you know, this is why long distance relationships can be hard. I was in one ones and it was only Boston to New York. Um, I mean, New York to Los Angeles, but it was a lot of, um, like once, okay. You miss them overall. You can't wait to see them. But on the day to day, if someone's like, are you okay? You're like, Oh God. Yeah. Like I'm fine. I love this situation and we'll be together again. But like right now I'm so happy that I won't have to take a shower or whatever. And so it's like, but you wouldn't lead with that when talking to your long distance mm. partner, like, you know what? I love you, but I was also fine. You know, it sounds like you don't love it, but like you do. And maybe that's a testament to how much we love performing that, we don't need it for the wrong reasons. And so we're not jonesing like when something is not about ego or attention or proving something to the bully from your past or competing with the guy next door. If it's just something you love, then it's going to be available to you until your heart stops beating. And that's probably why day to day. You're not anxious about it. My theory.
0: I love that. Uh, That's a really good way of looking at it. And I think that I, actually agree a lot with that, that, that makes, cause I do love it and I genuinely love yeah. it, but I've been wrestling with that idea that I don't feel any desire to rush back to it. Certainly not in an imperfect form. Like I, when it's all back, when it's when yeah. we've got a vaccine and the rooms are full and I've had some time to think about something new, I'm very, very happy to go back and do it again. In fact, it's the first thing that I'll want to do, but I don't, yeah. I don't need to have another version of it. In the meantime, but that's not to make judgments on those who, particularly those who are living on a subs, like, you know, perhaps financially need to be back doing mm-hmm. it, you know, small rooms that need to be yeah. running, you know, smaller comedians that need, this is how they're, you know, paying for their food and their rent. I, I totally understand yeah. all of that. I have perhaps yeah. less sympathy for somebody who doesn't need the money. Who's you know, going out on the road and inviting a whole bunch of strangers into what seems to be still a highly dangerous situation.
1: That's what I don't get either. And I, you know, obviously I could use the money. Um, I'm okay for this year. I think because of some writing jobs I had next year, I'll start to be nervous and I'll have to do other things. And I I have my, you know, I have like a paid Patreon and some other loose, loose ends. Like if I finish this script, I'll get the rest of this little money. So I'm like living like, you know, Certainly not paycheck to paycheck, but, but you know, it's, it's definitely not, I'm not looking years ahead. Like I could, I could chill. So I don't need the money in that sense, but there are people in my same position who are going out on the road and I'm like, you don't need to, you know, and, and you're, and you're putting the fact that audiences don't have to wear masks in America when they're sitting and laughing, it's unbelievable. But anyway, I did have a thought where this could be cool though, when when everything goes back to normal. Mm you know, if I play a big city like Chicago, inevitably all the smaller cities that really would be too far to drive two, three hours away. Are you coming here? No, it wouldn't be cost effective for me to, you know, sell a hundred tickets, you know? So it would be cool if now that people are tolerating watching things on zoom, if I do a show in Chicago, it can be broadcast over zoom to the smaller cities. I don't know how we would Or anything, it could be broadcast to all my fans. Are you in LA? Do you feel like watching me do a set in Chicago tonight? You know, charge them half price, or even just five bucks, and let them go on Zoom. So I feel like that could be really cool. Is this sort of constant simulcasting? Although I know people don't really like that. I
0: think I think there is going to be that. I think that's what you're saying is absolutely where it's going to go because, uh, yeah, there's a lot of talk around the. The Australian festival season for 2021 at the moment. And because it's in the early part of the year, I can't imagine that what we, the Melbourne Comedy Festival got cancelled this year, but I can't imagine that there's going to be a Melbourne Comedy Festival as we've previously known the Melbourne Comedy Festival happen next year. So they're clearly looking at ways that they yeah. could do some version of the Melbourne Comedy Festival, whether it be, you know, some, you know, socially isolated, you know, lineup shows or perhaps what you're talking about, which is the idea of doing a socially isolated show, but selling, you know, what they call balcony tickets, which are just online tickets. Yeah. You know, you could be anywhere in yeah. the world and you could pay, you know, 10 you know, bucks or whatever. And you know, you get a, you know, version of that comedy club in Chicago sets up their camera. They have the right equipment and then, yeah. you know, you can watch you in Chicago that night, you know, for 10 bucks from you know, your living room somewhere else. And I think that is, quite exciting because that's not the idea of getting your material out there and burning it. It's the idea of watching somebody. And if you are a fan of somebody, the idea of being able to go, I'm going to watch them in Chicago. I'm going to go and see them when they play Minneapolis. I'd like to see this set, you know, when she does it in Chicago, I'd like to see the yes. set where she does it in Minneapolis. And I do think that those, you know, technology advancements might be something that adds and benefits the community down the line.
1: And I think too, like if I'm doing that set and someone in Minneapolis is watching me do my set in Chicago for big crowd and they might go, I want to see her do that same thing in front of me. It doesn't translate if they just watch a Netflix special, they don't want me to do what they already saw because that was polished and done, but they want to see Oh my God, she's going to come here and say those words. I wonder how it's going to be different. I don't know why I, this is based on nothing, but like, it's a feeling in my gut that people would actually watch something once online and then go see it. And I don't know why that's different than listening to your album and, and you feeling like you've burned material. I wouldn't, I would feel that way if I released an album or a special, and then someone said, now go tour on that material. Mm-hmm. I'd say I just burned it. I don't know why I don't look at the other thing that way. Well, I think
0: people are doing it on purpose for a start. It's not just out there. You would have to go and find it and be part of it. But one of the things that I've always hated about and why I've done so many shows, but so few specials is I don't really ever have what I consider a definitive version of the set that I have. Like even the show that I was doing this year, like from when it started to what it had become when I last did it in Adelaide, which was the last show that I did, it was probably a 60 to 70% different show to, you know, the first time I did the show under that title. And the idea that somebody could check in on the show, could watch it at different times, the idea that you're not watching the definitive version, the Netflix version or the, you know, Amazon prime version, but you're just watching me on a Friday night in Chicago doing that show with the conditions on a Friday night in Chicago and the audience on a Friday night in Chicago, it does feel like that is something different too. You're not saying this is the definitive version of this show. Although, as you know, from doing those shows, sometimes the worst thing is you do do the definitive version of that show on a Friday night in Chicago when, (laughs) when it wasn't being filmed.
1: Yeah, exactly. That always happens. And you know, I guess I just realized the difference would be that you're watching someone live. And so it's not like yeah, Netflix and Amazon and all that aren't live, live to the moment. Um, so yeah, I, I can see why it doesn't feel like it counts as you having seen it already. And God, it sounds so fun. Now that makes me, because I just think. Less travel, maybe some money. I mean, you could, I don't know, you know, I feel like you could make. Here's, I'm talking about how great it is. I haven't even done one of my own that I put together Zoom because right. I'm too lazy. <laughs> like, you could make money on that. Well, why don't I do it?
0: Then? Well, yeah, I think it's just like, you know, like there's got to be some positives that come out of these sort of things as well. And if we can think about what those positives are then like you know maybe that'll re-excite yeah. us about what it is that we can do but um okay so what was it about stand up that you weren't liking previously to um you know obviously a bit of the travel but what was it about stand up that wasn't as appealing to you as it used to be
1: um i think it was just truly a lack of ideas that i just wasn't You know, maybe, I mean, I got to be honest about the timing of all this. It's the last few years. I think people in my country, especially, I don't want to say my country, in America, especially have this low grade depression and hopelessness. And we're being traumatized by like a horrible father in the white house. And it does something to the spirit. And I haven't wanted to be out being looked at talking. I wanted to be, you know, kind of, I, I thought, I, I guess, you know, the first two 2016 to 2018 up and down, but then things get normalized and you're like, oh, I miss it out there. And then that's what I was saying. I went back out there and I was like, no, nope, <laughs> something's not clicking. So it, it could be, it could be that where it's just like, I'm low grade uninspired because it's not as literal as I feel I should be saying something important, you know? Um, that's not it. But I just, again, felt like what's on my mind is not anything I'm talking about, but what's on my mind cannot be made funny by me. I'm not interested in making it funny. Uh, I don't really have any, that part of my brain that's always observing was just off. It was just off. And so I've never felt that way. I go through phases, but never this long. So it's either aging out of once a younger person's interest or it's America. I don't know. I just, but when I'm standing on stage and people are laughing and, and it inspires me to keep writing as I'm talking those moments, that's what it was. I write on stage. I, I, I have a rough outline. I do it around town and I have solid jokes. I go on the road, but, It's like sixty percent talking, Mm. forty percent punchlines. Then by the end of a year, it's eighty percent punchlines. Because I write on the road, on Mm. the stage, just things come to me. I tape it. I listen back and go, I don't remember saying that. It's just a zone I get in. I was never in that zone the past couple years, and I would get off stage and go, "Why? Nothing came to me. Just uh, completely uninspired."
0: So, uh, what? what, uh, Here's what I want to ask you about, and you know, is obviously there's been some pretty fucking horrible stories coming out of the American comedy industry. You know, this is also one of the things that's been happening during this time is like, you know, some pretty fucking horrible revelations about, you know, the behavior of a whole bunch of, you know, comedians. And it's something that comedy I think has to reconcile with all over the world, you know, because the thing about comedy is that, it often prides itself on its inclusiveness because you can see an Asian person on stage telling jokes or, you know, like a a gay person on stage telling jokes. And because so often Mm -hmm. these people are speaking from their personal experience, it almost over inflates people's like, you know, uh, you know, I think anyway, and particularly in Australia, it's like, well, look, you know, here's this gay guy talking about what it's like to be gay, or here's this, you know, person talking about their own particular experience. Look at the inclusivity of this profession. No matter what your story is, you yeah. can come and you know be equalized by the fact that you're standing up in front of people and sharing your stories with them. And it feels very inclusive, but clearly on a beh- be- behind the stage, you know, <laughs> It has not been an inclusive industry for a whole bunch of reasons.
1: Yeah. I mean, that part doesn't, of course it upsets me, but that part that it's not inclusive Mm. because we've always known, like we're not having extra, in other words, we react to each guy. Here's my feelings, but we don't go into this. I'm talking about women. We don't go into this existential crisis. What is comedy? It's always been sexist, unfair, very scary, physically intimidating and disappointing (laughs) when you see what people think is funny. So we've always lived in that sort of like, this is upsetting. And so it's almost like the same thing that you could say politically, like groups that are absolutely trampled are still fighting for their various countries that have oppressed them. Um, and then you've got like, you know, white people that are just like, everything should be perfect. So let's blow up the system. And it's like, Hey, 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 if, if the people that, are, that you're trying to defend are saying we're kind of in an acceptance about how shitty it is, um, we're, we're not having any extra heartache over it. We, we live it, you know, uh, let's all work together, make it better. So I feel like every time this happens, we take two steps back because men have to process a thing we've already known, you know? And it's like with each guy that does it, it's about that guy and not the entire community. And us women have always known the entire community is dysfunctional, but we live in it. It's the same as white people with Black Lives Matter. You know, it's like if anyone you talk to that is not white, the last thing they want is for part of the cleanup to be Now the white person has to tell you all they've realized and learned and how upsetting this is. It's like, we gotta, we gotta speed it up. And so for me, it's like, I, this, it doesn't affect my soul because my soul was already in the dumps about it. And I, of course I have opinions, but mainly my opinions are not for the bad guys to stop being bad. They'll always be sociopaths and rapists in every community, but it's on the good guys to change the culture of comedy. And it means everything from calling it out when you see it to what are you putting out in the world in your act? The simple act of even retweeting a woman you you think is funny. Do you go back and check the comments and see if you've thrown her to the wolves of your fans and, and can you find out by looking at the comments, like if your fans like women or not, and if they don't, can you ask yourself why they think that's okay to tell you? And are you willing to lose them? Like until men are as brave as women where we're willing to lose our fans just by walking out on stage. Cause half of them might not think we're funny. We don't give a fuck. We never have. So we're kind of waiting for the guys to get some guts and you know, we don't have any expectations to be quite honest. I mean, I don't mean expectations. We don't have any, um, false hope, you know, and, and I, know, I know you don't need to hear this, but I am present company excluded because I think you've always walked the walk and you know what I mean? No,
0: but, no, but I think that, uh, I mean, the point being that we've all got to challenge ourselves and, mm-hmm. and what you've just touched on there, I think is, is really important, which is, I don't think that there's firstly anyone, without sin. So the idea that dividing people into, you know, good guys versus bad guys is probably counterproductive anyway, because you know, there are various degrees of permission that the good guys, you know, quote unquote good guys have given the quote unquote bad guys. So like, as you said, you know, even if it's not thinking about things, even if it's the idea that you think, Hey, this woman's made this incredibly great point. I'm going to elevate this point by, you know, sharing it on my social media, but not thinking through what the consequences of, you know, elevating it and putting it to an audience that isn't that person's audience. Isn't something that I would have ever really thought about until, yeah. you know, to be fair, I think that yeah. like most, most of my audience are pretty good. Thank like, like, you know, like mostly if I elevate something on behalf of somebody else, it, and it's the only time I ever fight with people on Twitter is when somebody has to yeah. go, not at what I say, but at, at what, yeah, something else that I've elevated on behalf of somebody else, you know, but, yeah, but these are all lessons that we all need to learn and we all need to create better environments and we all, you know, need to be, you know, more careful about, you know, the permissiveness of behavior that we see, don't see. Mm-hmm willingly don't say don't put ourselves in positions to say hear about yeah. don't follow up because it would be uncomfortable for us to you know follow it up you know all these things that are happening oh my god i'm getting the the weirdest effect on your screen at the moment where it's just gone completely green and then it feels like it's melt oh no it's gone down <laughs>
1: it's a, it was like- oh weird what if i was just melting that's what it looked like I'd been a nuked. little bit
0: that you become pixels and then you were melting
1: trump just nuked los angeles that's what happened so
0: like i think it's <laughs> so when we have these discussions and the reason that i always like yeah. to bring these up is part of you know the contribution is to be constantly talking about them right to yep. and then to realize that sometimes you know i that i that it will be uncomfortable for me, because I haven't lived a fucking perfect existence either. Like, you know, um, and and no one has. And I, I, I I don't think that you or any of the women who are you know talking about, you know, these things are claiming that they have lived perfect existence either. They're just saying, here's this system that is, you know, set up to, you know, overlook, you know, a a whole range of bad behavior in our direction. And it shouldn't be.
1: And I overlooked, you know, it's interesting too. Like if I could say anything to young people, it's, please don't demonize like the women older than you that didn't know. Like, I know it seems impossible to understand. We didn't know right from wrong, but um, it's not like I'm talking about slavery and I'm going, well, some people didn't know right from wrong. Yeah, they did. But this truly is when you brought up, you know, in my generation, like raised by people from the thirties and forties, there's feminism, which is like, yeah, of course you equal rights. And you just don't, you don't just have to be a mom. And then you, but then you go to work at the comedy club, and yeah, you've heard the owner is like a creep to women. So instead of all of you banding together and going, Well, what's your story? Uh, you just pass it along to the other women. He's a creep. We had no idea that's honestly what protecting is because I have to look at the intention behind it. It was to protect each other, and literally did not know that we could say anything. It wasn't even as literal as we were afraid for our jobs. Don't like, don't assign value to it. Or we're being company men. Not even that we just didn't know. I don't know how plainly to put it. I'm, I'm talking to this perceived young person listening that thinks that they're doing everything right. And then when they're older, they'll look back and go, Oh my God. And even know we weren't supposed to bling, 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 bling. So I think it's really like, I'm learning too. Oh, wait a minute. You know, like retroactively mad about things that I'm just realizing were wrong, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't remember what the point was. Oh, that we have to keep, oh, that we haven't lived a perfect life. It's, it's like, I've been part of keeping things quiet, but I can plead for people's forgiveness that I didn't totally leave a safe comedy world for my sisters because my intention was never, I'll get mine. Fuck you. And I think this is fine. It, it truly was just like, we didn't know. And sometimes we don't know what's going on and you know, so and also you- by the way, I'm still a white straight person. Right. So I have to be cognizant of not making my opening act feel uncomfortable. You know, like, am I just letting the club assign me to white guys to open for me or am I consciously bringing new people, you know, new things to the table, which I do not to pat myself in the back, but it took me a while to realize, Oh, duh, I should do that. But
0: yeah. I know. But I think all those things, like, you know, we're all works in progress, but we've got to work out what we've got to progress, you know, and you can't work out what you've got to progress if Mm -hmm. you can't admit what you've been getting wrong or have a new understanding of what, what what is not good enough. And I think, you know, I mean, I've spoken about this a lot on this podcast, but I think that, you know, I overlooked how hard it was for, you know, women in comedy, particularly in a certain like segment of the comedy population, not to say that this wasn't across the comedy population, but that the rooms that I was playing, were much more gender balanced. We had so many strong, you know, female comedians. I was surrounded by strong female comedians and different voices that my experience of the comedy world wasn't. And by the way, still, you know, with the proviso that that world also had its own range of problems, but there was this other world that I was not part of that, you know, that you just did not see. And sometimes just not even seeing it can be part of the problem. So you 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 often on this show I get asked by people, you know, and it's you know, we we to, we toy with this idea about it's not you know the victims or the person who's been persecuted's responsibility to educate those who are you know who want to be allies, but but I ask the mm-hmm. question anyway because I'm comfortable with you and you've got some suggestions anyway yes. and there is You know, a bunch of comedians who will listen to this. Like, what are the practical ways that if you're, you know, you're a young male comedian who's getting into the industry now, and or you know, maybe you're a male comedian listening to this who's already in the industry and you want to do a better Mm -hmm. job. Like, what are those practical ways that they can do that?
1: Well, I think in their life, you know, they they have to look outside their life. I know your life can seem very small when you're younger, and if you're focusing on being a comedian, it's kind of all you think about, but try to have an outside life where you as simple as am I only following white people on Twitter? You know, my white guy that has no idea about like what black women are doing on Twitter, you know, make your follows more diverse. So that throughout the day when we are, you know, as much as the internet is mindless scrolling can be kind of cool. Like, so yeah, you're mindlessly scrolling on the toilet and now your feed is full of different voices. It's getting in there. And so little things like that in your real life. And, you know, obviously reading all any kind of book that directs you to, I would say less stories about a woman hero from the 1800s and more like critical analysis <laughs> from current day, you know, feminists and people of color and whatever um, to find out, you know, all that, and then keep that to yourself. You don't need to tell the people in your life about it. Like they've never heard of it. Um <laughs> And then on the road and in your life as a comic, it's like, you know, it's great to yell on Twitter. Chris D'Elia was a creep or Brian Callen raped someone. It's sure. But that doesn't really do anything. So it's really about what can you do that nobody knows? You know, you go to bed at night and you're not getting a parade for it. But are you aware? I'll give you an example. Uh, your act now. Your act doesn't have to be "Hello, everyone. I'd like to name three women's rights triumphs this week in the Senate." Like you don't have to.
0: I mean, do don't that. get me wrong though. If someone opened with that, I would like sit up in my chair. I'd be like, "Where is this going?" This is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I do think, like, is there a way? And 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 maybe if the answer is no, that's totally fine. But is there a way to talk about learning as a man? what women go through without reverting to some of the tropes. I'm the dumb guy. I didn't know my wife takes, I think women could run the world. Like, do you have any of those tropes in your act? You know, everyone look honestly at their stuff. And when you talk in your act a funny story, Oh my guy, my buddy, he got a pizza and it was this. Do you ever tell funny stories about your women friends that aren't your wife or your mom? You know, do you have, do you just set examples throughout your act that women are of a normal relationship to you? And do you, you know, again, for guys just starting out, a lot of this stuff is about stuff you do when you have a little more influence and power. But if you are allowed to pick your opening act, can you tell the club booker, I, I only want possibly, you know, gay guys, black women and blah to choose from. And, you know, it comes with talking to the club owners and saying like, yeah, I know these, these people, they might be not as strong, but they don't get as much of the stage time. You know, if you're talking about someone that never gets, it's all like, snake eating its tail. Like you might not get stage time because you're a black trans woman and you're just being excluded. Um, and then you might not be having the opportunity to get funnier because you're being excluded. So that's less stage time. And then they start saying like, Hey, I would totally book a black trans woman, but she's just not funny enough. And it's all about being funny. And it's like, but there's so many white guys that aren't funny that are getting chances and whatever. That's a whole separate issue. But it's just like, if you're, if you can, like, don't just bring someone that's just like you around with you. And also don't fetishize other people. Of course, there's horrible people of every color, gender identity that are doing terrible material. So it's, you know, it's like, that's why it's going to be a little more, your life's going to get bigger. Your life's going to change. And But I do think little things like that, like when I'm talking about with the material, like just noticing that and are you willing once a year to do a show where all the money goes to some issue that, you know, Black Lives Matter or trans kids that get kicked out of their homes or women's reproductive issues? Or are you willing at your merch table to have a cent, a dollar of every purchase goes to blah, just you got to live it and walk it. And then it won't be so much like, what can we do? It's like, who should we be? You know, I can give everyone a checklist, but eventually it's going to start having to bleed over into your life. Um, you know, so I think those are the little things. I actually made a checklist and it's it's on Twitter somewhere. Three rapists back, um, I did a thread.
0: It's a horrible way to put it, but it's also true.
1: And well, I don't mean to lump them in together. Some are just statutory rapists. This is very unfair of me. <laughs> There's so many kinds. These are good rink jokes, by the way. <laughs>
0: um, so we, we speak about this in the context of a changing America and, you know, sometimes changing for the worse, and sometimes changing for the best and probably from day to day, a mixture of all those things. But how do you feel mm-hmm. about the, the country that you live in at the moment? Like if you were taking its temperature... You know, obviously from Australia, you know, mostly we see bad news, mostly that the truth of it is that, you know, mostly we see the worst of Donald Trump, you know, him lying every day, the 25,000 lies or whatever that they've shown that he's, you know, told while he's in there, we see, you know, nearly 200,000 people dead, you know, a quarter of the world's population have died from the coronavirus, you know, in the United States of America, we see you know, from the outside, we see a punch yeah. drunk, heavyweight fighter. who has gone on <laughs> way too long. And, you know, is you know, now yeah. yelling out homophobic insults and trying to get into bar fights to prove that he's still, you know, the, 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 the boss of everybody. But is that what it feels like on the ground? Well, oh. yes, <laughs> it's,
1: it's, it's just as, as bad as you think. And, and, you know, of course, like if you only saw good news, you would, as a rational person, be like, I bet there's some homeless people, you know, like obviously there's little pockets of light and so many activists and nonprofits, you know, the world still turns. It's still good and bad simultaneously. You know, there's nothing new. The Buddha knew that. And that's what that whole message pretty much is everything is terrible and wonderful all at once. So don't cling, but, but realistically, we, this is, I mean, we're, a third world country. And we're isolated now from the rest of the world. We are not allowed to go anywhere and we are trapped in our own borders. I mean, I'm trapped here. That's never been anything I've experienced. And, you know, our government has been stripped of most of its checks and balances. And since most people don't know how government works, it leads to a lot of cynicism from people as liberal as me who are screaming, why don't the Democrats do something? And we are, I mean, you know, Nancy Pelosi called Congress back in to have a hearing with the Postmaster General. Um, our post office is going away, which is how small businesses run in this country. it's it's devastating. Like it's devastating. That alone could throw us into like a third world status, let alone everything else going on. And so, but we can't get anything through because we don't have the power. It's like, Passing your parents notes when you're four and going, what if I had chocolate? And they're like, no, <laughs> it's never going to happen. You know, you got to wait till you're old enough to move out. So it's like, if Donald Trump wins again, it's the end of America. It's the end of democracy. I mean, it just is hundred percent. So that gets you feeling things on, on a to. Day- that's exactly what it feels like. It feels like nothing I've ever felt in this country before. It's, and yet I, I'm, you'd think if someone told me that I'd be like, well, I, I'll probably in the street raving, but you, you kind of have to know when to preserve yourself. Like there's nothing, nowhere I can go. That's going mean, to, also the pandemic kind of freaks me out. So I guess I could fly to Washington and stand outside, which I hope I would do if it gets to like, we have to pull them out ourselves, like the French revolution. I would love that. But yeah, so it feels as heavy as you think it's, I didn't have an abusive father, but I damn sure bet. I know exactly what it feels like from having gone through this.
0: Does it give you an insight into how like historically when we see monsters rise and monstrous regimes rise and people, you know, getting behind those monstrous regimes, it's hard to look back at them and think, how did all these people, you know, support this person, this person was clearly, you know, an evil person, an incompetent person, uh, you know, any of these sort of things that historically these, you know, fascist dictators have been, you think, how could it yeah. have happened in the first place? And now having seen it happen, you know, somebody yeah. really institute so many, you know, fascist practices, you know, across their government and the way that it all works. It's, it's the thing that's terrified me is how normal it's felt in a way that it's been, yeah. That it's happened so quickly, and you know how quickly we got used to it not being normal, it's almost made it normal, like the fact that Donald Trump with you know nearly two hundred thousand you know American lives you know on his hands, and the fact that you know he's been through you know hundreds of scandals that would have brought down any other president. the fact that he's still yeah. a chance of winning the next election just seems like it can't possibly be true, but there is you know, when you're looking at some Mm -hmm. of the polls, particularly the way the American electoral system works, you know, the worst possible scenario is that Joe Biden wins by 8 million votes, but doesn't win, you know, wins the popular vote, but doesn't actually win the election because of the way the the system is set up or that, you know, Trump, you know, cheats the system, you know, so that, you know, and claims, you know, victory. These are possibilities. How much do you think those things are possible?
1: Oh, both a hundred percent possible. I mean, we saw it happen already, you know, Hillary Clinton won by 3 million votes. Trump won the electoral college and the electoral college gives states that have a third of the population of other parts of the country more say in the vote. And that goes back to slavery. So it's like, it's, it's racism and it's, and it's, it was set up so that black people could have no once they were able to vote. I I don't know. I can't explain the electoral college. I'm not going to get it right, but it's not good.
0: So, In summary, not good.
1: That could happen again. And I think, you know, we've got Russian propaganda, which people don't like to talk about because it sounds like you're crazy. And it's like, yes, I am talking about a decades old, not, I was going to say rivalry, world power, game of war. That always had an an element of active measures. Go read something about the KGB in the 50s. There was always covert active measures between the Soviet Union and then now not the Soviet Union, but they don't have money. They don't have weapons in the same way. They're not going to nuke us. They're going to destroy us from within. And so it is working and all sides are falling for it. And so there are enough disenfranchised people on the right and on the left. You know, part of the reason Hillary didn't win And you can have people go, because she wasn't a good candidate. And then, and then you should have had Bernie. Yeah, I got it. But that's who we had that day. And you stayed home because she didn't personally come to Wisconsin because she was at a nightclub where there'd been a mass shooting and a bunch of gay people were killed. But also did she need to go, you know who she is. She's not Donald Trump. That's who you vote for if you want progress. So, and even if you want perfection, vote for the progress and we'll incrementally get to perfection. But there is no excuse. So, we are, I am not hopeful in a way. I I do believe more people will vote than did even for Hillary. I really believe that because they're more motivated and because just sexism. B, C, D, E, and F, that's why he's messing with the Postal Service because of. Corona. So many more people will vote by mail and tons of people do anyway. On the other hand, I just have this feeling every once in a while, the most evil people are so bumbling that we find a way in and we overwhelm them. And I, there's this ray of hope in me that I don't think is blind faith. Cause I don't have much of that left that we're going to push it just by a perfect amount that it'll be okay. And he'll try to sue and he'll go mental. As long as the, checks and balances are in place to handle that, which they currently are, we could be good. If Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies and he finds a psychopath to put on the Supreme court, we're fucked, absolutely fucked. He will steal the election knowing the Supreme court's on his side because that's who it goes to eventually. So it's precarious. I'm living on the edge every second. And that's why bringing it back to things being normalized, eventually your psyche has to make something normal as long as your mind intellectually says every day, this isn't normal. It's okay if it feels normal because otherwise going to die of toxic poison anxiety, you know, and, and we're not meant to live that way. So we're not doing anything wrong. None of us by going, I'm in kind of acceptance that I don't have a lot of control. As long as you keep saying this isn't normal, that's fine. That's good. You know, but I think it feels normal because I don't think evolutionary we have no
0: we don't have another choice uh you talk about the idea of how we get through day to day i'm very interested in your thoughts around this because obviously you know you've been in a state where um you know it's been in in lockdown for a considerable period of time a lot of people who listen to you know this podcast like a whole bunch of people from melbourne it's been in you know pretty severe lockdown where i'm living it's less so. There's no cases in this area, you know, within, you know, within 200, 300 kilometers, you know, in a circle, there's there's nothing, zero cases. And so life here is pretty normal, to be honest. Like, you know, probably a bit more normal than I would like, because of course, as we know, with this disease is the minute that you know, one person gets in there. If you're living a pretty normal life, if a whole bunch of people are just hanging out together and touching each other, it can spread like wildfire. So I have extra responsibilities. We've sort of been living very much similar to a Melbourne existence, trying to live in lockdown. Um, uh, we've got to make, we've got to make our TV right. show in October and you know, I've, like we'll not be traveling interstate during that time, crossing borders, you know, have a really, all our meetings are online. You know, our studio record is without an audience. Our Melbourne guest is in Melbourne in a different studio. Like the entire, we're, we're, we're acting as if everybody has it, you know, trying to get on with life, but acting as if everybody has it. But generally if I went down to the shops today, most people would be acting like it doesn't, really exist where I live. Now, these are, these are also people who won't yeah. vaccinate against polio. So look, they have some different thoughts.
1: Oh, good. <laughs> so everyone has polio, exactly. but not Corona. So I'm not wearing a mask. I'm wearing a brace, but at least I don't have to wear a mask. Yeah. Well,
0: what I can, what I say is it's hard to get someone to wear a mask to the shops when they won't wear shoes to the shops, but that's just <laughs> a different thing. That's- um, but what about you? Yeah. What about in a, like a, like in, as you said, in a mental health sense, in a, how you're spending your mm-hmm. time sense, like, what are you doing with your, you know, lockdown time?
1: Well, it's funny. I've been teaching anxiety. I am teaching relaxation classes, um, for people with anxiety. And so basically like what I've been doing, you know, the first couple months I had a writing job. So mm-hmm. I was on the zoom meetings writing the first, I gained weight the first two months of the pandemic from stress eating from having a writing job. I felt like I didn't even uh, begin my true feeling like things were upside down until maybe may when I didn't have to check in with a certain job every day, but you know, I've been writing scripts. Like you, ha- you always have to stay fresh if you want to get hired. So I was like, well, I have some extra time. I'll write a couple scripts just to have them as samples. And I do a podcast. So, you know, it's like I work 10, 20 hours a week, maybe. Um, I'd like to do nothing. I mean, I'd like to just read and watch movies and, you know, I've been kind of like redecorating and, I kind of wanted some time off anyway. I, I I was saying in December, I was like, I'm so tired of trying to get work and then working 16 hours a day and then on that, you're still trying to get. I said, I'm. I don't like this grind culture. You know, I'm a Gen X. I'm more of a slacker. Like, I got into show business to work less and do what I love. And I just the last couple of years, I just was having trouble finding work, which means you have to work harder. And so I was working like 50 hours a week for free, trying to get something going. I hate all that stuff. Anyway, I said, I need a vacation and not one where everyone's waiting for me to get back. And my emails are piling up What the whole world to stop. That's what I said in December. I need the whole world to stop for like three months and I want to watch everything on Netflix. And I want to get so bored that I'm reinvigorated. And I swear to God, I said this to my manager at a dinner when she was like, what do you want for 2020? And I said that she goes, okay, well, besides that turned out. (laughs) So (laughs) so I, I hate to say it. I kind of got what I wanted. So now the day to day looks like shit, this is really going on. And if I sit around thinking about how I'm trapped in my own country, and how I don't know what I'm going to do to pay the bills in January and how I'll freak out. But luckily I've had anxiety and panic disorder since I was eight and I've been working on it since I was 21 and now I'm 45. And so I'm primed for this. Like I'm feeling okay. I'm not depressed. I'm not lonely. And I feel very just at ease and it has nothing to do with anything external. I am single. I rent and I don't have a job. So it is truly from having worked, and not saying any of those things are bad or I'm unhappy about them. But you know, when people listen to someone say that, they go, "Oh yeah, she's the, I'm telling you all the check boxes that make people leave you alone at the family Thanksgiving. If you check all those boxes, they don't ask." You know, none of them are checked, and I'm doing great. And it's because of all the years that I've worked on physically relaxing my body and checking my mind and all that. So I started writing a newsletter. I started writing. I started just writing about anxiety and what people who don't normally have it could do day to day. And I put on Twitter, you know, if you have anxiety, send me an email, I'll send you some thoughts. And I'd send out this like 10 page thing I wrote. Now it's up to 52 pages and it's full of resources. Like if you don't have any money for therapy, you can read stuff that's like a therapy session, like just science and facts and things about anxiety and podcasts to check out and books and any articles to read. It's mostly free unless you buy a book from someone or something. And then I started a weekly newsletter about anxiety and I just took my old tour newsletter. I was like, sorry, everyone. Now you're on an anxiety newsletter. And then I started teaching classes over zoom. I was like, I'm not going to do comedy over zoom. And you know, I'm doing all this other free stuff. So I do charge for the classes, but it's like 12 bucks and I donate some to an anxiety association. People get an hour long class, whether it's like how to breathe, if you're anxious. And so anyway, this has been really fulfilling and really has taken the place of comedy for me because I lived with anxiety my whole life and it was a secret and I didn't know what it was and I didn't have Google and there was no internet and I thought, oh, I'm mentally ill and I'll have to live in an institution for the rest of my life once they find out that I'm having these things that were panic attacks. And so I just thought, oh, you know, my anxiety is better and everyone young is so lucky today or people like me who just are having anxiety for the first time. They're so lucky because they can just Google anxiety. But what I realized was people don't, they don't even know where to begin But they might trust me because I'm a comedian. They know. And I don't think we need to be gurus or whispering to give people advice. And so I just wanted to teach these very real classes. Like here's some breathing tips. Here's a relaxation, but doing this stuff makes me so happy. And I naturally just work on it like 20 hours a week now. So that's what I've been doing. And I just keep yeah. I just keep writing about it and sending out. Di- oh, my whole point is the reason it's so it jazzes me up is because this thing that I thought was going to make me have to live in a hospital the rest of my life. Cause I didn't know what it was. I'm allowed to talk about it out loud. And I, I might be able to help other people who think it's this really scary, big deal. And it's not, and I can use my unique talent of having a sense of humor and just kind of normalizing anyway, babbling, I'm sorry, but that's what I've been doing.
0: No, I think this is great because I mean, there's obviously, you know, so many people who, you know, have like, you know, anxiety in their life on so many different levels. And, you know, the more that you talk about the idea of anxiety, you know, anxiety, depression, all these sort of things, um, are actually, you know, one in four you know, people or whatever the statistics are and you know, who knows what the actual numbers are, but let's just say if a quarter of you know people out there, you know, are suffering in some way from, you know, well, struggling in some way with, you know, depression or anxiety, or living with depression or anxiety, cause it doesn't always have to be a struggle. Sometimes it's just, you know, that it's a part of your life yeah. that you're, you know, managing and, and living with in the same way as you're managing and living with other things. Um, you know, it's, it is a common thing. And obviously, you know, these are the sort of issues that can, are only made, um, you know, exacerbated by the current circumstances we find ourselves in, in the world. I mean, it's an anxious time for everybody because the world is Mm -hmm. in the middle of a panic attack on so many different levels. So if it's something that you you know, uh, you have to deal with in your own life as well. I think it's super important that this is happening and happening in a way that, you know, is perhaps maybe accessible to some people who, you know, feel nervous about, you know, where to go or, you know,
1: well, you know, yeah. And I think too, like, look, there's, there's a reason some people just have anxiety. It's physical, but what I'm trying to drop into people's heads is a lot of times our anxiety isn't literal, like I am nervous or I feel scared. It's the way we react mm-hmm. to things, the way we maybe share information online, everything's so immediate, or even just like snap decisions or kind of making everything about you, you know, and there's little ways that we exacerbate our anxiety every day, and so like when people write to me, they're like, "I have anxiety, and here's why and and it's like. There's not enough self-esteem or self-love to be like. Doesn't matter why. I mean, it does if you're in therapy and you need to go back and work it out. But to request an email that I said anyone could have, I don't. You <laughs> don't even need to have it, you know. But they're like, I lost my job, this and that, blah blah blah. And I'm, I, I would never say this because it's more year five of therapy. But I think all of those are reasons to be horrified, scared, worried, get a third job. But none of those are reasons to have anxiety. Like if we come at all the horrible things going on with an unrelaxed body and an anxious racing mind, it will not help ourselves or anyone it's toxic. And it's toxic when we put it out there, you cannot make rational decisions or be a leader. You know, Anne Frank's book wasn't, Oh fuck. You know, it was like just this hopeful thing, you know, Martin Luther King wasn't like, they're trying to kill me. Like our leaders and our inspired artists have a sense of real steadiness And it doesn't mean that horrible shit isn't happening, you know, but the way we live today, we're all such victims. It's like, and we also feel like if we're not responding by being completely overwhelmed and victimized, then we don't really care about the world. There's this performative thing too, that I think does not help. Um, I'm happy to have nobody know what an activist I am and just go around smiling and talking about anxiety. Like I don't have to prove it but when I'm in my anxiety, I have to prove it. And people don't think of little things like that as what anxiety truly is, you know? Um, but anyway, but, but yeah, I think if people realize that we want to control everything and weirdly when we're having an anxiety attack, like we can stop it in its tracks and we can even control if we work on it every day. We can lessen it in our life, and so like the two things we can control basically are our thoughts and our breath, and we don't bother to do it. We're like, nah. So <laughs> that's kind of my message: is like, it's like we can have fun with it, we can laugh at it. I'll tell you really, really quick. M- when I had a really bad phobia of flying, I've probably told you this in a different context on FOFOP or this podcast, but I'll just keep it really brief. I took a fear flying course, and it was all about relaxation and visualization. And the psychiatrist that taught it, this was back in Boston in the '90s, when you could still go right to the gate, could smoke inside, and he would smoke cigarettes and drink coffee during class, and he'd lead us through visualization. And he you know this box, Boston accent, he'd go, "Relax your cough muscles. All right, tighten your arms. Relax your arms." That's right. Yep. You're relaxed. And that was his voice. And he made tapes for us to listen to. And I would listen to this guy going, relax, (sighs) you know, blowing out a cigarette smoke. And to me, I think that's as beneficial as Eckhart Tolle whispering, you know? I think when we whisper, we give like anxiety this reference that it doesn't need. Yeah. And Dr. Al was just like, yeah, you're anxious, okay, then you won't be if you do the exercise. So, you know, it was- he was enlightened. And so I, I'm trying to channel him when I teach these classes, you know,
0: uh, we should uh, finish up in a minute, but um, I'm, this is, yeah. a, this is just Jen and I dipping our toe back into the world of podcasting. This is a special bonus episode of philosophy, but we're going to do a faux fop in the next couple of weeks. And we're oh, going yeah, we got- to talk about silly stuff. We've done all the,
1: Oh, I should have you on my Patreon as a bonus. I
0: would love to do that. That'd yeah. I've got, I've got yeah. nothing else to do. I'm happy to <laughs> How many favors have you done during this time, by the way, have you done a bunch of favors? Have you, or or have you been favor free?
1: I'm learning to say no and say, I don't want to fill up my time. I don't like this hustle grind culture. I'm doing nothing. I'm really taking a cue from Fran Leibowitz. I don't know how familiar you are with her, but uh, everyone listening, look her up. She's she's great. uh, Hilarious. Now she's 70, lives in New York, whatever, but she hasn't written a book since the eighties and she's, you know, gets paid to speak. And she's just like, yeah, I'm lazy. I don't want to do anything. You know, Um, I want to walk around New York and read. So no, I'm not doing that. So I've I've done no favors, no anything. Like people like, do you want to do my interview show? Do you want to do my, and like, don't need the attention. Thank you though. Well,
0: see, th- But if now, you
1: call going on my podcast a favor, I'll kill
0: you. No, no, no. I mean, well, you do my shows all the time. Like it would only be fair that I would do something in return. I'm <laughs> just saying that I've taken some of this time to, like, I had a long list of, you know, people who've hit me up at some stage to do something. And I, I must admit like the first few months I kicked a lot of things off my list, but I do not plan to like, I, I plan for that list to then build up again over the next five years everything like I, I I feel like i've cleared it out now i've done sort of like a whole bunch yeah. of favors and now it's like yeah 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 I'll, let's go through that i'll put it off again dance until the next global pandemic thank you
1: well you know and you've got a tv show to go back and do in october you're going to be busy again
0: oh yeah no i've got i've, I've done what you've done in regard to the yeah. cycle of I've gone from, I really enjoyed the break. I really tried to actually enjoy the break, like take the time off, you know, seeing it was imposed on me. And now I've got to the point where I'm interested and full of ideas and, and stuff again. Oh, so great. yes. So that's what I'm about to go into, which means that if you need me to do a favor, I am no longer available guys. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, shit. window. That was the, <laughs> the four months. You had a chance to get me on your your football podcast or your Instagram story or whatever <laughs> it was. I did them all. <laughs> the door <laughs> shut close to business now back to my own shit (laughs) I did a lot of things I did some real things that I would never ever say yes to previously I was just like fuck it why not I will do them I've got the time but now I don't really have the time anymore so I've got my own shit to do Jen Um, speaking of which I'm going to uh, finish up but I I, I just need to do a quick bathroom break because I've got two more questions I definitely want to ask you but I'm not going to make it through the whole podcast You can hit hit me up. I I really did have that um, sense too of like, I was like, I want to be quick, but particularly in these modern day pandemic times, you've certainly got to take your 20 seconds to wash your hands. True. Like, I think at all times, I would say to people at all times, please take your 20 seconds, but I didn't want it to appear on tape that I, the bathroom is very close. I didn't want it to be too quick. Like, there is actually a slight Uh, paranoia with that these days. Totally. You're just like, I don't want to emerge too quickly from this bathroom. People will think I haven't washed my hands appropriately. Uh,
1: I might be slacking on my hand washing. Actually. I get, I got to do it longer.
0: I must admit that I'd never realized that you have had to do it for 20 seconds. Yeah. That's like, I've, I've always been a person who washes my hands, but yes. I must admit I didn't realize that you had to do it like to, to be effective. You had to do it for 20 seconds. I've always been, I reckon, 10 seconds max 10
1: seconds, was yeah. probably what
0: I've been doing. And I will say just
1: so it's on tape, as you said, which I love that you say tape. Uh, when I said I need to, you know, get better at washing my hands, I meant the length I'm home. I always wash them, but I've been, you know, my hands were raw at the beginning of this pandemic and now they're not. Oh, yeah. And I don't think it's cause they're used to it. I think it's cause I'm slacking a little on the amount of time, <laughs> but I haven't gone anywhere, but you know,
0: just in case I think that you get used to it though, because everywhere I, I was making a bit of fun of the area that I live, you know, being a bit slack around, you know, COVID, but every business you go to has hand sanitizer. Yeah. Now. And so, and I use it if it's there, I use it. Like it doesn't matter even if I just did it in the shop previously or whatever, yeah. if it's there, I'm doing it again. I'm just getting into the habit. And at the start, one day I went to just like grab something with my hands and all of my knuckles just cracked open. Like, you know, as in like the skin. <laughs> like you're a fighter, you're
1: like you're a professional
0: like, boxer. I, I was literally like bleeding from my knuckles as if I'd been in some sort of barbed wire fist fight <laughs> in the streets, a um, UFC cage match. I looked and it was just because, my hands had just never been that set sati- They were just not used to that, particularly in our line of work. Like, I mean, very soft hands. It's not like you're working outdoors and, yeah. you know, building up your hands resilience. And I was just like, how weak am I that I'm bleeding from my knuckles because I've washed my hands too much.
1: It is true. We're, we're delicate people in a weird way.
0: Uh, All right. Two questions uh, that I want to ask you before we go. So the first one is this, um, I have a magic wand. I don't by the way, but this is just a question for the sake of the podcast. I have Uh a magic wand. And with this magic wand, I can give you any ability in the world. You don't have to do your 10,000 hours to get good at something. I am mm-hmm. just going to grant you the ability to do whatever it is you please. And you can interpret this question, however you want, but it has to be a skill or ability that I am and go, am oh, okay. going to bestow upon you. What is the skill or ability that I'm going to bestow upon you that you would most like to have? Uh,
1: I was torn between, I'm talking to the level, like you said, where people are going to pay to see it or it's going to wow people. Um, I go back and forth between singing and dancing, but it's going to be singing. I want and to so sing you- like, uh, Amy Winehouse, you know?
0: Okay. So here's my, okay. I like this then. So, say you can sing like Amy Winehouse. Uh, huh. do you become yes. a professional singer? Yes. Do you give up comedy? Yes. Completely? yes. Do, are you funny in between the songs? Do you try to combine the two?
1: No but I'm sh- of no. course I am funny in between the songs can't help it, but, uh, it's not on purpose. No, I don't need to be fun. Uh, you know, to be honest, well, in this reality, you've waved the magic wand today. And so yes. I'm already used to being a comedian and I'm going to tell you that as a comedian, what I'm very uncomfortable with is when the audience takes me too seriously, when you get an awe instead of a laugh, and I think I would be very uncomfortable singing sad songs and having the audience maybe think I'm sad because I don't want their pity or their consolation or to get a weird email later asking me out. So I think I would actually be funny in between just to codependently, is that we're okay? I'm okay, you're okay. I think I would, <laughs> that's the re- and that's the reason why. But I love to sing. I do it around the house. And when I hear how I can't sing, I sing okay. But when I hear that I really can't sing, it makes it less fun to do. So whereas you know, I dance around a lot. The fact that I can't dance that well, that's fine. But the singing, it just got to get high when I say, I just, I love it.
0: Okay. Final question. I yeah. have a time machine. I don't actually, also, I don't, I don't, I feel like I don't yeah. really need to point this out, but I don't want to like, you no, know, it, obviously get anybody's hopes up. I have a time machine. Yeah. Uh huh uh i am offering one return trip to anywhere in the past anywhere in the future anywhere in your own life without consequence if you would like um please personal indulgences only you don't i'm not going to send jen kirkman back to kill the baby hitler that's yeah. not your responsibility i'll use the oh, time fine. machine to send somebody appropriate back to you know kind of fix up history's biggest mistakes but in in a personal indulgence sense like mm-hmm. what would you like to do with a time machine trip?
1: Now, if I go back to a time in my own life, am I allowed to change it or, yes. Oh, then I got to go back in time in my own life. Um, I'm going to go back to when I'm 18 years old and I'm just going to do it differently. I'm not going to be too afraid to do things I'm not going to be too afraid to go to Amsterdam with my freshman class because I have a fear of flying. I'm not going to think adults have answers. I'm not going to ask permission from the dean of my theater school if, if I can do stand-up comedy, and he said no, so I didn't. I am I am going to save money better. <laughs> I am just going to do it all differently so that when I'm 45, you don't even know me because I retired at 35, <laughs> and we never met. <laughs>
0: hi, it's Will here. Um, The podcast was almost over and then the line dropped out. The line dropped out literally at the moment that Jen Kirkman said she'd go back in the time machine (laughs) until she was 18 and then we would never meet and she wasn't appearing on the podcast. And at that moment, she stopped appearing on the podcast. So anyway, I thought that was a perfect ending. We could have gone back and recorded a little goodbye but it just seemed like much more perfect ending to the show for Jen to just drop out when she said that it almost as if she was in one of those movies like back to the future style and i had just been erased from the photograph in her brand new world Uh, so anyway i love jen kirkman she'll be back soon for a faux fop so check out my other show my comedy show faux fop where i talk to various comedians around the world but we're a lot more silly than we are on this but if you like you know dave anthony or justin hamilton or gareth reynolds or jen kirkman andy peters there's there's a bunch of regular people laura house Uh, Matt Kirshen. There's heaps of great episodes with all those people and hopefully they will be the sort of people. Daniel Sloss, who end up coming back in the future to do more episodes of Fofop as well. So, uh, yeah, what a great ending. I mean, what a weird ending, but also what a great ending. Make sure you check out Jen's at Patreon. And uh, one more time, make sure you check out patreon.com slash philosophy as well if you like this episode and you want to contribute, chuck it a buck or two. Uh, US dollars to our Patreon page to keep it all happening. That is uh, genuinely appreciated. Okay, thanks for listening and uh, talk to you again soon. Bye.